Hi, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers. My name is Dave Bookbinder, and this is the show that digs deeper to understand what really matters most in business. I'm a managing director at B. Riley Advisory Services. I'm also the author of the new ROI, Return on Individuals. You can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter. Please do reach out. Uh, underpinning business is technology. And today, my guest is here to help us in demystifying some of the tech, the expressions, the terminology, and the functionality. And I'm pleased to welcome Patrick Parker, who's the CEO at SAS Partners. Patrick, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me. That's a pleasure. Why don't you introduce yourself to the audience, Patrick? Absolutely. So I'm Patrick Parker, CEO of SAS Partners, where we're focused on building custom software for small businesses and entrepreneurs. Well done. That was a, probably the shortest introduction in the history of Behind the Numbers, so very succinct. Short and sweet. That's how I like to keep it. I, I appreciate that. Uh, leaves us a lot more time uh, for other stuff, which hopefully I won't waste just babbling here to you. But why don't we start by by defining what SaaS is? I mean, I work with a lot of SaaS companies uh, in the course of my day-to-day, SaaS being software as a service. But can you explain to the audience what that means and in the spirit of the show, demystify that for them? Absolutely. So, so software as a service is just a niche uh, within software. It basically touches everything at this point. There's over 25,000 SaaS products or software as a service products in existence, but a thousand new ones being added every year. So a ton of growth happening within the industry. These are going to be your software uh, services, things such as Calendly that helps you schedule time. No more going back and forth, trying to find a time that works for everyone to meet. There's going to be uh, software such as Zoom or your video conferencing that are provided as a service. So pretty much anything at this point can be provided as a service. It's just understanding what the opportunities are and figuring out how you're solving those customer problems and pain points. Yeah, what are the real benefits of that, uh, Patrick? I mean, from a valuation standpoint, what we see a lot of times is the SaaS companies that have a really strong recurring revenue model uh, are, are getting premium valuations. But what's the real benefit and why why are companies moving or are they involved in the SaaS platform? Yeah, the, the biggest benefit is going to be scalability. So it's, it's cheaper traditionally to build uh, software as a service products because of uh, the cloud, uh, the innovations that happened around uh, cloud computing made it much cheaper and more effective to actually take a product to market. There's a ton of services that are available that can help you infinitely scale. So it lets you get to a larger number of customers without the performance issues or without the the traditional kind of challenges or barriers that you had with on-premise uh, storage and implementation and, and computing. So access to a much broader um you know, kind of ecosystem of, of cloud computing. And it's continued to, to push things forward. And pretty much everything uh, that is being launched or, or created is now being created as a service uh, using software. Yeah, and I want to drill into a, a little bit about what you're doing at SaaS Partners with some of your clients, because uh, as I understand it, you're working with, we'll call them underserved industries, um, where you know, technology is not something that you'd think of as the the forefront of those particular industries that you're serving. Is that right? Absolutely right. So when we're not working with founders, we're a little bit different in the way that we operate. So we run something that's called a product studio. Wherein when our developers roll off of client projects, instead of letting those people go and return back to the workforce, we instead have them create products for us in-house. And so basically what we're doing is we're going and looking at underserved niches, such as the equine industry, for example. Being here in Kentucky, we had to do something for the horse farms. 
Um, so basically, we're looking at a lot of the processes that they're still doing manually or using spreadsheets for that could be automated in order to save time, in order to increase or improve efficiency or client communication, delivery, things of that nature. So we'll go in and we'll take a product to market uh, and then work on scaling it out and trying to really solve some of those biggest pain points within the industries. And it's something that we've done so many times now that we have uh, playbooks and frameworks built out that can basically guarantee our success. And I know guarantees are such a dangerous word in, in business because a lot of people want to say there is no such thing as a guarantee in business, right? There's no such thing that your company is going to be profitable, that there's going to be a, a need for what you're actually producing within the market. But I think that that's what differs a little bit about the way that we operate and the way that we actually found these companies through, you know, a set of, of steps that, that we have proprietarily created over time that has let us create five different multi-million dollar businesses in the last five years. So we're very confident in what we do and in the way that we take products to market uh, and actually build those products out after doing deep market research. Yeah. And when you're working with your founders and entrepreneurs or even some of these established uh, underserved industries, are, are you seeing a theme of any kind about what these companies are, are, are not doing as well as they should be? The biggest thing is the market research. It all starts there. You have to go extremely deep in understanding who your customers are. So really focusing on nailing those ideal customer profiles, those buyer personas, understanding the pain points and being able to craft a brand story and messaging that really resonates with that audience. And the work starts before you ever build a product. Uh, what we always teach is to actually go through and validate the idea, which is essentially free. You can have those conversations uh, with people uh, in your ICP that fit your buyer personas without spending a dollar. So going through doing interviews, doing surveys, questionnaires, uh, panel discussions, anywhere that you can can get that such coveted feedback in order to formulate an understanding of, is there an actual need for this? And more importantly, what would people pay? And then you can work backwards from there and understand what they value, how you can best serve those clients. And then you can build a, a minimum viable product that solves one problem uh, before you build out an entire solution or platform. So it's it's a very different way of doing it. It's extremely effective. But out of the 91% of all startups that fail, I truly believe that at least 50% of those uh, could have been avoided if they would have just done that hard work up front. And so there's another statistic that I absolutely love. There's 42% of all software as a service companies and all software companies in general fail because they're unable to find product market fit. So if you did that deep work up front, then you wouldn't have to worry about it on the back end and, and would never have taken a product to market that there was just not a need for. I'm jotting that down. That's an interesting statistic. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, sure. want to move into now some of the, uh, the demystifying of, of technology terminology, if you don't mind, Patrick. Uh, in, in, in chatting with Patrick for uh, our, our prep call for the show, I, I kind of thought of him as, uh, Bill Nye, the science guy for technology, is fascinating the, the depth and breadth of knowledge this guy has. So uh, we're here to pick his brain. I'm going to start with uh, something called Web3, Patrick. Um, what is Web3 and, and why should we care about it? Yeah, so Web3 is kind of the natural progression or evolution of the Internet. Uh, there's a lot of investment happening in that area. And traditionally, investment tends to follow innovation. So you're... If you look at the progression of, of Web 1, where we started out uh, to Web 3 now, Web 1 was primarily static web pages that were informational by nature, where you could go and learn about a company. 
possibly learn about some of their offerings, uh, but it was just static. There was really no interaction and engagement. And then you transition into Web 2.0, where you have the emergence of cloud computing, uh, Amazon Web Services, things of that nature that are, are making it easier to build products and, and scale products. And then you start adding in a lot of the user-generated content where you can actually engage. So think about the rise of, of big tech and the social platforms that are beginning to centralize all of this data. And more importantly, that are able to uh, monetize it. So the user-generated content, your comments, your images, uh, your network, they're able to leverage that to really understand consumer behavior because of the ad platforms tied on the back end. And then they're able to sell that and profit off of it. So Web3 really focuses on the creator economy, giving power back to those people that are actually creating the content, uh, providing them with more control over their content, uh, more security, more privacy. A lot of things that people have, you know, had issues with, with the Web 2.0 version. And so you start to see this, this transition where power was centralized, data was centralized, information was centralized, and it begins shifting back in Web 3.0 uh, or Web 3 to the actual users. So there's a lot of benefit there. Um, I think it's something that, that even though it's coming, it's still a ways off. So when you think of you know, mass adoption uh, on a large scale, it took almost 50 years from the time that the first car was manufactured for everyone to drive cars daily. Uh, the internet, same thing. You've got about 25 years before adoption was achieved. With this, I expect to see the same thing. You have to have education um, and internalization of some of these concepts uh, has to occur before you begin to to break down some of those barriers that are, that are holding back adoption. Great, thank you for that. Patrick, for folks who are watching and listening, uh, if they want to get in contact with you, learn more about you, work with you, what's the best way for them to reach out? Yeah, you can check us out at saspartners.io. So that's S-A-A-S partners.io. Or you can check me out on any social media, Patrick B. Parker on Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, wherever you consume social content. That sounds good. That's a good spot for us to take a quick break and uh, pay a few bills here, Patrick. Don't go anywhere. Uh, you watching and listening, sit tight. We will be right back on Behind the Numbers after this quick break. Let's go, Walter. Up to you. Walter, 12 o'clock. Come on, bud, you're scaring him. Walter, Walter. One evening as the sun went down and the jungle fire was burning. Okay, last one. Came I'm headed for a land that's far away beside the crystal fountain. So come with me, we'll go and see the big rock candy mountain. That is incredible. I know, right? It's the multiflex tailgate. It can be a step, you can extend the bed, it can even become a workspace. I meant the cat. What's so great about him? He didn't have a workspace. He's a cat. <laughs> the Chevy Silverado with the available multi-flex tailgate. Walter, go get some firewood. Find new adventures, find new roads, Chevrolet. Hello everyone, I'm Mark Iorio. I'm the host of Rainmakers Roundup right here on RVN TV. 
The show is about looking for people who are in competitive businesses that are doing something different and unique in the world of sales and marketing. Join me right here on Rainmakers Roundup on Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m. and then again on Thursday evenings at 6.30 p.m. right here on RVN-TV. The right way to top a sub is with real red wine vinegar made from red grapes and no food coloring. And the right way to film it is in slow motion, obviously. Because authentic ingredients make a sub above. And welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and today we're demystifying technology with Patrick Parker, who's the CEO of SaaS Partners. Uh, Patrick, I want to continue on with uh, some of the, uh, the technology buzzwords of the day. Um, <laughs> cryptocurrency, um, super hot topic. I had a guest on the show yesterday uh, who's in the financial wealth management space who had some very interesting topics or comments to say around that topic of crypto. Uh, tell us about crypto. What exactly is it? How, how do people think about cryptocurrency? Yes, the easiest way to think about crypto is just digital money. So it's a new asset class that was created uh, in order to make transacting money uh, much easier. So removing some of the centralization from the banks, um, decentralizing the exchanges, uh, and basically making it uh, quick and easy for people to send money across borders or to, to friends with lower transaction fees and, and shorter transaction times than you traditionally have. Yeah. Now, there are different types of crypto, right? There's Bitcoin, Dogecoin. Help us parse that landscape. Yeah. So it's all built on blockchain technology. And, and right now you have a number of different networks and protocols. All of them are kind of vying for, for the top spot, but you have some, some industry leaders. So a lot of people have been concerned about the crypto market. A lot of people think that it is, is just a scam and a, a quick money grab, but I couldn't be further from the truth. So I liken what's happening right now to a, a shakedown wherein you had at one point over 10,000 different types of, of cryptocurrencies or digital currencies. And the ones that are not providing real intrinsic value, those are the ones that I think are going to end up uh, shaking out and possibly going to zero, while the ones that are actually providing a ton of, of value and utility will continue to remain and, and further increase their market caps uh, as they start to rebound from this, this down cycle. So. It's one of the things that the technology behind it is, is to me, what is, is so incredible, right? So you have uh, transparency, you have security, you have privacy, all of the things that you've had issues with in the past that are becoming, um, that are really coming to the forefront now. So it, it's a lot of opportunity there. And I think the biggest challenge there, again, is just a lack of education, understanding of what that is. The majority of, of the people that have adopted it are going to be millennials. They're going to be the younger generation. So there's definitely a generational gap as well in terms of who has grown up with technology. And uh, I'm kind of sitting in the middle of that, trying to bridge that gap between the older generation and the younger ones uh, and ushering a new technology. Yeah. And, and to be fair, I should just warn the audience that crypto is, is definitely considered a very risky asset class as it's working its way through and probably in nascent stages. Uh, Non-fungible tokens is uh, another related uh, type of uh, item, if you will. Uh, talk a little bit about what NFTs are, Patrick. 
So NFTs are another innovation that was born out of the blockchain. So having the ability to verify a digital asset's uniqueness and authenticity is something that was historically a challenge. So again, the concept of an NFT being able to tie that back to a digital asset and more recently physical assets or representations of physical assets is something that that helps with proving ownership. Uh, and there's a ton of use cases. It started out obviously as as art and pictures of, of million dollar board apes, uh, but it's it's transpired into so much more than that, right? There's some real world use cases that provide a ton of utility um, that a lot of people are starting to get behind. So in terms of the way that we move forward, being able to prove ownership to the world and authenticity, there's a lot of value there that I think we're just now scratching the surface on in terms of the, the potential use cases. Yeah, and I think underpinning all of that, what you just talked about, is this blockchain technology, which is used uh, in other avenues as well, not just in the form of the digital currency platform. That's what gets you that safety and structure, right? Right, that's correct. And so the evolution of blockchain was was extremely important just because of the, the immutability of it. At its core, it acts as a ledger. So Think of it similar to a uh, bank ledger and how you have different transactions. You can track those over time. The difference is because it's decentralized, um, there's no tampering with it. It's essentially hack, hacker proof. I mean, there's, there's no way to uh, gain consistency over that network because of the distribution of all of that data. So essentially what you're doing is you're matching up the records that I have with the records that other consumers have. Um, and you are able to come to consistency and understand who those tracks, uh, who's made those transactions or what wallets. And then you're able to, to track that stuff over time um, without, you know, concern of whether or not it will ever change. Once it's been committed, it's there forever. Great. Patrick, for folks who'd like to learn more about you, how can they connect with you? Absolutely. You can connect with me on saspartners.io. That's S-A-A-S, partners.io. You can also check me out on any social platform at Patrick B. Parker. I want to shift gears a little bit here, Patrick, and let the audience get to know you a little bit more. And uh, I'm going to ask you just to share your journey of entrepreneurship uh, for the folks who are out in the audience who are entrepreneurs themselves or aspire to be entrepreneurs or just looking for creative ways to think about their current role in whatever they're doing. Um, what's, what's your backstory? Like, what have you learned along the way in terms of successes, failures, and, uh, you know, lessons learned that you could share with the audience? Yeah. So I, I grew up as an athlete. I played basketball at a very high level. Uh, I think that there's a, a lot of kind of parallels between athletics and, and leadership as a whole. So a lot of my approach to, uh, leading people to coaching, to mentoring came from my background in, in sports Ended up getting injured, wasn't able to continue on. So my, my dreams of, of becoming the next Michael Jordan uh, abruptly ended. And at that point in time, I had to look at the things that I was passionate about. So ultimately went to school and, and picked tech and started launching a number of, of side hustles, both while I was in college and then um, after getting out of college, took a job with a big four consulting firm, started working on software implementations and again, was just starting up side hustles here and there had a ton of early failures that I learned some extremely important lessons from, you know, to me, failure is something that is, is both necessary and acceptable. You know, you hear that quote all the time, that failure is unacceptable, but without failure, you don't have the opportunity to learn, right? 
the the success that you have only reinforces what you already believe to be true. So in order to, to learn something new, in order to, to innovate, you have to experiment and inevitably fail. And so I think the lessons that I learned uh, early on are what ultimately led me to, to find success. So while I was doing consulting, um, basically turned around and, and started up a staffing company where I was supplying a number of different companies with, with top tier tech talent. And then I made a million dollars in my first nine months in business, took the, the profit that I made from that to turn around and start my software development company. And so that's where the journey really began. And at that point in time, once I had the, the software company, we started focusing on developing our own products, just started growing exponentially from there to the point where now I've got five SaaS products and a couple of other companies that uh, I'm all running and, and continuing to grow and scale. Yeah, that uh, commentary about failure is something I hear a lot from entrepreneurs. I think it was Henry Ford that said, I'll probably butcher the quote, but something to the effect of that failure is just another opportunity to begin again more wisely. Um, yep. So that, that's a recurring theme. Talk a little bit about how you're building teams and, and culture. What's leadership mean for you, Patrick? Yeah, so I'm, I'm proud to be able to say that as much as, as people like to jump around within the tech industry, we have a 97% retention rate of all of our employees. So I think that speaks volumes as far as the culture that we've built here at SaaS Partners and across all of our, our companies combined. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time and, and effort and, and financial resources on training and upskilling uh, our workforce so that they are staying on the cusp of innovation. We have a big focus on experimentation and we've essentially created a culture where they understand that it's okay to fail. It's in fact encouraged and expected. And so I think that that's something that, that you have to really promote from the inside uh, in order to, for people to have that sense of, of security in order for them to, you know, kind of push the boundaries of, of what they thought was possible and, and, in order to, to question what they thought they knew in order to continue learning and, and continue moving forward. Yeah, that's great that you're, you're building that environment where they feel safe. You know, there's, there's trust there that they can innovate and, uh, you know, take that risk and, and ultimately fail. And, and as you said, Absolutely. learn from it. Uh, if you were on an elevator with uh, an entrepreneur and you had 60 or 90 seconds to give them your best advice, what would you say to them? Do the deep work first. Uh, really spend a lot of time understanding who your customer is uh, and building messaging that's going to resonate with them. The hardest part of any business is actually selling a product or service. So many people tend to spend too much time really fine-tuning their product and crafting their product. Uh, and then you can have someone else come into the industry that has a far inferior product, but if they're better at selling, they're going to sell more. And then inevitably, that revenue is going to give them the opportunity to build a better product and continue selling. So really focus in on, on who your customers are, what the problem is that you're solving, um, and then communicating that solution throughout your ideal customer profiles. Yeah, thanks for sharing that with us. Uh, I know there are folks watching and listening who really appreciate that kind of candor from you. Um, let me jump back into the uh, explaining the tech stuff, so to speak, Patrick. Uh, sure. Artificial intelligence is something that, you know, Frankly, some people get a little bit afraid of that it may replace them in the workforce. Talk about artificial intelligence, where it's being used, and, and where you see it going in the future. There's so many applications and, and existing implementations, but to a lot of people, uh, you know, artificial intelligence is still just some guy sitting at a computer in India. 
Um, so there's there's a certain level of of I want to say mistrust or concern about the progression and evolution of, of artificial intelligence. And you have folks or, or top engineers at companies like Google that are, are really pioneers in the space coming out and saying that that sentience has already been achieved. Um, you know, there's a lot of concern about about lack of regulation and, and what's actually going on within the industry. But there's so many applications and, and we build a lot of software that incorporates both artificial intelligence and machine learning um, into the code to achieve tasks that would otherwise take a lot of time. So you think about identifying objects or identifying places in pictures or having the ability to to extract different layers of textual information within the images. So there's a lot of use cases in image processing. There's a lot of, of use cases in deep search. Uh, there's so many different applications and it's so broad that it's it's you know hard to kind of nail down one specific area where I see just a, a ton of, of innovation. But I think some of the most impressive stuff right now that's going on in the, the, the environment is, is mapping of the brain and some of the things that they're hoping to achieve uh, in terms of, of learning and in terms of, of repairing uh, the brain. So there's some incredible stuff that's going on just all across the industry with the technology as a whole, and I'm excited to see it continue to evolve. Yeah, thank you. Patrick, unfortunately, we're getting close to the uh, the end of the program here, but I want to sneak in one more question for you uh, that's on the minds of a lot of folks, and that's the metaverse. Uh, help sure. us understand what that is, and again, wh where is that headed, and, and why should we be leaning into it? So the metaverse, it's, it's so funny. People used to say growing up that, hey, don't don't put your face too close to the screen. Don't sit too close to the TV. And now you're literally wearing a TV uh, as a headset, uh, fully immersed within a virtual environment. So as virtual reality and as augmented reality and eventually mixed reality become more and more prevalent, it's going to fundamentally change the way that people interact not only uh, with each other, but with the world as a whole. And so I think that there's a lot of really interesting opportunities to bring products and services to consumers uh, through those virtual and, and augmented uh, realities that you just couldn't achieve before. There's so many more experiences that can be had and, and enjoyed uh, due to the, the continued innovation that's happening in the industry. And if you just look at the, the capital investment that's being deployed there and look at the innovation, um, there's so much emphasis on bringing those new experiences to life that um, you just have to believe that, that at some point in time it's going to be achieved. Now, obviously, there's a ton of barriers to that. Primarily, the, the hardware has to catch up with the software. So the computing power that you need to achieve something that's, that's portrayed in like a, a Ready Player One or a gamer or one of these other science fiction movies, it just doesn't exist yet. The software is, is being uh, innovated at such a, a more rapid rate right now than the hardware. And so until that hardware catches up, you know, the metaverse is still a ways out, but it is continuing to, to gain adoption. And if you look at the revenue that's predicted to be generated here through 2025, 2030, um, those are some astounding figures. And there's no way that you can sit back and, and not at least fundamentally understand what it is and what opportunities may exist, especially for your business or, or for your the services that you provide. So yeah. there's a lot going on, a lot to take in. Um, 
just a ton of innovation happening in that space altogether. Yeah, real quick, in 30 seconds or less, you mentioned that the metaverse is a ways out. When do you think that's going to be a commonplace occurrence for us? I'm going to say 2035. Okay. Just because the, the tech has to catch up. You'll continue to see a, a high-level adoption taking place. I mean, the, the number of, of Oculus Rift headsets, which you can see back here, are uh, happening at a, a crazy pace. It's picking up speed. It's becoming more affordable. Uh, Facebook is even, or Meta, has taken a loss on a lot of their products just in order to get that product in the hands of, of more and more people. So, you know, they continue to, to bleed money and they're, they're very impressive hedge that this will become reality. And then you have a lot of other competition within the marketplace that's, that's really focused on achieving that and bringing those virtual experiences. But I think until the, the hardware catches up, we're looking at at least 10 plus years out uh, to achieve the level that I believe people will expect and ultimately become familiar with. Thanks, Patrick. And with that, we're going to have to wrap. Patrick, thank you so much for joining us today on Behind the Numbers. Absolutely, Dave. It's been a pleasure being on. Thanks for having me. Uh, pleasure. We've been talking all things tech from SaaS to crypto and everything in between with Patrick Parker, who's the CEO of SaaS Partners. Again, my name is Dave Bookbinder, and I'm the one that my clients turn to when they want to know what their most important assets are worth. As I mentioned, you can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, thank you for watching and listening. We can't do this show without you. Please do hit the subscribe button so that you can stay in touch with all that we're up to. And that is all we have for today, folks. We will see you next time on Behind the Numbers. Take care.